0: Good morning. Good morning. All right. Before we get going this morning, I want to make sure everybody's equipped. Okay? Are you with me? We're talking about being equipped this morning. So, I want to be sure that you've got some things in your hands. One is that you have the handout that was given to you. And it's okay if you want to cheat on somebody else's paper next to you. I'm okay with I'm okay with that. I'm all right. We got some teachers in here. That's not so good. But I'm okay with that as long as there's a sheet that you can see. If you don't, if you just, you don't mind just kind of placing your hand up and then Sam's back here, she can make sure that everybody's equipped with the sheet. And one of the reasons is we hand these out every single week um, we generally have some information that goes up on the screen that you fill in some blanks or you can take some notes, but a lot of times what I find is that although i 'm jotting notes down as I go, sometimes the Holy Spirit just impresses something on me, and I have to write it down because after we go back to the last to communion or we go and you know after the service is over and i 'm talking to people, and I really want to remember exactly what that impression was so that that piece of paper is for you to use and however you need to use it during um, the service. But this morning, particularly because I've got two passages of Scripture that are on that sheet of paper on the front and the back, and we squeezed it all in. George said, oh, my goodness, how much more? Did you want to just put everything on here? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So it's all on the, on the front side. We've got an Old Testament passage. On the back side, there is a New Testament passage. But the reason I wanted to have it in, on print is because I used a translation Uh, Called the Amplified Translation, the Amplified Bible. And what it will do is it will actually help me a whole lot because um, it will, it amplifies, just as it says, it amplifies that translation of Scripture will take a word and amplify it so that we can have a greater understanding of the word. Oftentimes, it will go back as we see it in English. It will go back, this translation will go back to the original word and just expand it just a little bit so we have a depth of meaning to it. I wanted you to have that in your hands because that's going to help me move along a whole lot quicker because you're going to see Um, an amplified definition of a a couple of those words that will be on your your paper. And I use that through some of the the scriptures of Matthew that we've already been over, again, so that you can see the amplification or the understanding of that word. So you've got a, a pen in your hand, you're equipped, You've got that sheet of paper, that handout in your hand. And if you've got your Bibles, if, you're, if you can multitask this early in the morning, that's pretty fantastic because if you've got an NIV or another translation that you like to do, it's great to kind of cross-reference the whole thing. We're going to be doing some Bible study this morning. We're going to be doing it. We're going to, we, I want to be sure you're equipped for that because we're going to look at these passages of Scripture. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I think they're down here. Yes. So if you don't have one, if you don't have an NIV with study notes, please, uh, you're more than welcome to take that one. We want you to have it. We want you to use it. Um, So with all that being said, you've got paper, you've got Bible, you've got pen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get started. Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning as we open up this portion of your word and as we uh, begin to allow it. And, you know, that's a big word. Because it's got to be, we've got to have a heart that is allowing you to do some work in us. And there are things within every single one of us that this becomes very applicable, very personal. And so, Lord, I'm asking, first of all, to tender my heart, to humble our hearts. We will not accept your word. Your word says in the book of James, our hearts, until they are humble, will not even accept your word. So this morning, Holy Spirit, as we pray for you to come, as we pray for you to convict us, as we pray for you to comfort us, as we pray for you to teach us, as we pray for you to encourage us, as we pray for you to do the work within our hearts, We give you full reign, and we allow you to do the work within us, to renovate our lives, God, so that we bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, on the top of your handout, there is a statement that I want you to take a look at, and it says, it's just point number one, it says, looking over this past week, The predominant attitude, the predominant attitude, position, or posture of my heart was blank. I want you just to think over this last week. And I want you to think about the predominant attitude. Now, usually we think of attitude as our minds. You know, we've got an attitude of the mind, but we can have an attitude of the heart as well. And I want you to think back over the last week about what, is there a word that you could put in that blank that, des, that describes the predominant attitude of your heart? In other words, if somebody were to have um, shadowed you for this entire week, could they have been able to discern... The predominant attitude of your heart. I believe that they would have been able to discern the, the predominant attitude of your heart because the predominant attitude of our heart is going to eventually drive us to how we behave and what we do and, and the things and the choices that we, that we make. In other words, my heart craved blank. There could have been a lot of things that your heart... I mean, you could have just craved a good cheeseburger. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you spent your whole week just you know looking for the, the, the best cheeseburger. I, I don't know. But ultimately, when we think about our cravings, our cravings will drive us. Our desires drive us. The desires of our hearts drive us. And if you think about it deeply enough, you'll understand that what we crave the most... What we are after the most is what will eventually begin to uh, show the rest of the world what we crave or what we're after. And left on its own, our human hearts will crave selfish desires. That's just how we are. That's who we are. That's who I am. That is who I am until I allow the Holy Spirit to come and renovate my heart, until I allow him to come in and change the self craving desires of my heart and make my heart crave and, desires and, crave and desire the things that his heart craves and desires. The same thing, to have that, to have that motivation of heart. Um, many of you know, some of you know, many of you know that one of the things that I crave, if we're just talking about cravings, is I, I pretty much am a, a, a raspberry white mocha fanatic from Starbucks, I just am. Now that's a small example, but if I want one of those in the morning, that means I will get up 10 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier to make sure I can make it down to North Myrtle Beach and then get back up north into Calabash on time. Now that's a small example, but do you see how my craving makes that whole thing work? That means I'm gonna adjust my schedule for what I want. I'm gonna get up 10 minutes early, or I'm not gonna mind being a little bit late, but I'm gonna adjust my schedule. I'm gonna adjust my behavior to what I crave and to what I want. That's just basic humanity. That's what drives us, that's how it all works. The stakes get a whole lot higher when we begin to crave other things that are destructive. We can get to that place. And what happens is we are we're just we're so involved with self-interest that we begin to crave whatever that is. And it may be just success. It could be something, you know, prosperity, it could be whatever we're after. It could be something bad, it could be something the world says is good, it could be whatever, but we will crave it, we will go after it because the heart will drive us to that. All right, I wanted to set that up as the scenario as we turn into Matthew chapter 5, as we, as we uh, continue in the series, looking at Jesus' speaking at the Sermon on the Mount. And if you turn, uh, I think this will be up on the screen. It's not on your printout, but it is on, your, uh, uh, on the screen. Verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said... Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And you're going, what in the world does this have to do with one another? Why did I fill in about my heart's desire? And we're going to be talking, it looks like it's just not connected, but it is. But it is very, very connected. Look at, your, at the handout, because I want, I want us to pull together three or four of these verses and still looking at Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 42, what we just read. Matthew 5, verse 5, it's on your handout from the Amplified Version. version. Remember, this was 10 weeks ago, eight weeks ago now that we looked at this. But we're looking at this whole stretch of passages of Scripture all together we want to be able to see it work all together what is Jesus what is his purpose what is he after in Matthew 5 5 from the amplified version blessed happy or blithesome joyous spiritually prosperous with life joy and satisfaction and God's favor and salvation regardless of their outward circumstances that's big enough. That's huge. That's huge. No matter what life circumstances, wherever you are, this is the condition of your heart. But blessed are those, regardless of those conditions, are the meek, the mild, the patient, the long-suffering, for they shall inherit the earth. Now that comes from the Amplified Bible. Underneath that printed verse 13 and then verse 14. Walt did this message that morning. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What I want you to see is that when we look like this, when we have that attitude of the heart printed in verse 5, we are salt. We are light. See how all of that connects. Meekness, patience, long-suffering, all of that is tied into a heart condition of humility. And when humility is the craving of the heart, see, this is what we do. If you've been in this Christ following place for a while, what we'll do is we'll be sad, we get satisfied with this kind of level. And we'll say, I'm humble. Yeah. You know, I compare myself to those around me, and I'm humble. And we'll go after just a certain level of that. And then we get satisfied with it. And we don't crave it anymore. There may be a time in your life when you maybe heard a great message or, you know, you began to look at Christ and you began to think, you saw the humility and it was something that you craved. And and then you kind of reached a place where you thought, okay, I got that. And I'm just kind of right here with that. And, and I'm okay with, I'm satisfied with that. There's always a deeper place of humility. And in that deeper place of humility, we're salt. And it doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, it's really hard when we begin this look into Scripture and what Jesus is teaching. It doesn't add up. Because the world will say, because what the world has done has perverted the word humility and what it really means. Because what we think humility means is that I've become a doormat, that I just, you know, woe is me. You know, I'm not any good. I'm lowly. There's just nothing good about me. That is not the biblical definition of humility. Now, when Jesus begins to teach on this particular portion, as the crowd was hearing this, you have heard it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And as we see that, what he is addressing, and we don't have all the time to be able to look at every one of the Jewish laws that pertain to that, but what we do see is what Jesus was after was a heart of humility. You see, when we are being renovated by the Holy Spirit and there is something within us that he just wants to uproot. remember Walt's message about lust, about surrendering that? Well, when we surrender that, the Holy Spirit's going to replace that with something else. Last week, George talked about commitment. He talked about integrity. Well, when we give up the sinful practice, the Holy Spirit's going to come and fill us with the characteristic of Christ, we can always assume that when we see something within us, something that's pointed out, what the Holy Spirit will do, he will come in, he will renovate, and he will add to us the characteristic of Christ. So throughout this passage, what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about vengeance. Now, He's not. let me tell you what he's not saying. Because when you look at that, you're going, don't resist evil. Well, there's all kinds of passages about don't re- Well, of course we are to resist evil in the sense of, when evil is uh, knocking at our door, and let's just give you the example, somebody's breaking into your house and wants to do harm, and he goes, well, you know, do you have any children? Well, does that passage say, well, don't resist evil, just give them your children? Well, of course, I mean, sanctified common sense, of course not. We are to resist evil. Does that mean that if we are in an abusive situation, physically abusive, we just stay there? Absolutely not. We find the ways and the means to try to renovate that relationship, where we infuse God into that relationship, yes, and try to rebuild that, yes. But it does not mean, those passages of scripture do not mean, it's not passivity that Jesus was after. What he was after was a renovated heart, controlled and craving humility. Now you may think, you know, I'm not sure that I harbor any kind of vengeance You know, I'm not after any kind of justice. Well, I think if you give yourself long enough to think about it and deep enough to think about it, I can tell you that within every relationship that we have has the potential for the heart to be seeking vengeance. Now, we think of that as almost violence. But you know what? God did some work as I was just poring over this this week and praying through it, this is so applicable to every human relationship that we have, particularly marriage, particularly relationships, particularly those tight relationships that we have with one another, engagements, etc. because you think, well, I don't, I don't know about that. Look at the thinking about George and I. And when we begin to think that it hasn't been an eye for an eye in my household, and we want that to be equal, what kind of destructive nature does that have within that relationship? It can have that. It has the potential to do that. Um, my, My middle brother happens to be attending this morning. And I know when we were growing up, if I went and tattled on my brother I didn't do it a lot Yes I did do it a lot Y'all did a lot to me But in that relationship you see I still want justification It's just the heart it's the way we are if we're honest we allow the Holy Spirit to do some work But here's what happens in that relationship Here's what happened you know this is just just everyday example I mean we weren't committing crimes against one another but what we were doing is, they would do. I would think they did something against me. I go tell mom and dad, and I would want justice over that situation. I mean, is, does anybody relate to that at all? You know, I want justice. But you know what? I usually wanted more than that. You know, I wanted mom and dad to do something equal to, but I wanted something greater. I wanted something even more. But then, if I was caught doing the same thing, what did I want? Grace, give me grace. That's the human heart. That is the, hu- that is the human heart. And they would tell you that with three boys and one daughter, I always got the grace, and that's not true. But that's the condition of the heart. That's the honest peeling back of the heart, even in relationships. We want vengeance. We really do. And in a marriage relationship or in any kind of close relationship like that, it's, it is wise to, be, to begin to look at that. Do I really want that? Do I really want that unfolding within my marriage, within my friendships, within my work relationships? You think about how many times, you may not use the word vengeance, but what you want is an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, and you want more. The human heart does not know the boundaries of that unless the Holy Spirit is involved because we will always take more. And that's what Jesus was addressing here. He was addressing the culture of the day, which happens to expand into all generations. But he was looking at a culture that was taking more, a heart that that desired more. And he was putting in a check and he was saying, instead of just thinking, desiring more, what I want to do is I want to renovate that more thinking, that self-interested, selfish heart of yours, and I want to change. Well, what would be the opposite of that? It's humility. I want to renovate your heart to where you crave humility. Now, I couldn't be surprised here because I'm going to be honest, that would, I would not have even thought of humility to put into my blank at the top. Maybe you did. Maybe you, you know, maybe you said, I look back over the my past weekend. And the past week, the thing I craved before God, the thing I wanted so badly that he would take my heart and work in me was humility. It's just not something we tend to think of. Because the human heart is just not where we're headed unless we're looking at the face of Christ and seeing the humility in Christ and craving that. And humility in the human heart renovates all relationships. Humility of the heart renovates every single solitary relationship. Crave it, all right? What does the Bible say? How does the Bible define humility? The second point on your, your, your outline there is that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount so that we would desire, so that we would crave to renovate the desires of our heart. That just blows my mind. Because we think that we're stuck with the cravings that we have or the things that we want, the self-interest that we want. But what the Holy Spirit desires to do is come in and renovate the cravings that you crave. Does that, the cravings that you have, the desires that you have, let me change those. Let me transform your heart so that the, the things that you crave are the desires that Jesus, that Scriptures show us. So how do we see that? How can we get a proper perspective about humility? It's in Psalm 37. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I love this thought because basically he was quoting himself. Because 2,000 years ago, before Jesus spoke these words for the Sermon on the Mount, David used them in a psalm. He used them in Psalm 37. So we can presume, as Jesus spoke the same words, he was going back to the eternal word that he spoke, the word that stands true in the heavens, the same word, the unchanging word, going back to show us from Psalm 37, what does it look like to be meek? What does it look like to be humble? What does it look like to be absolutely driven by humility? Can you imagine being driven by humility? Can you imagine a church, a church being driven by humility, what that would look like in this community? That's salt and that's light. Psalm 37, because we've been working, a bit, working on this whole illustration about figs, and if it's your first Sunday, I, you know, you're, you're kind of going to go, what is she talking about figs? Well, fig more stew. You know, Have you ever heard of frog more stew? Anybody ever heard of Frogmore Stew? All right, I didn't hear about Frogmore Stew until I moved down here because when I was growing up, you didn't mix stuff on your plate. You know what I'm talking about? I wanted my corn separated from my potatoes, and I don't want you mixing it with anything else. I don't want it all together on my plate. I want it separated. Well, when I got to here, which I'm from the South, you can't tell, can you? I'm from the South, but when I moved to this South-South, all of a sudden you just put everything in one big bowl and you cook it up, and I'm going, what is all of that in one bowl one of it was chicken bog. Never heard of chicken bog. Never, never did you mix all that together in one bowl. And then it got to be frogmore stew one afternoon, and that's when you put all that stuff. What is it? Corn, shrimp, uh, potatoes, something else. I don't know. I was looking at Matt because I think David's probably cooked frogmore stew for like ten million. I don't know. He can like they can. John and David can cook it up. They can put on some frogmore stew. It's a recipe. And it's all this stuff put together. Well, Psalm 37, to me, as I began to read that, looked like fig, no more stew. Which means that I want to drop anything that I'm carrying around in my heart that's all about me. That's, that's having a recipe of your heart that's just after self-interest. All right, Psalm 37, let's take a look at it. We're going to move through it very, very quickly. I'm only going to concentrate on the first word, and then you're you're going to look at what it means. You're going to look at this profile. First word is fret. Now, fret to me just makes me sound like my grandmother. You know, we just think of fret as being an... Don't fret, honey. I can hear my grandma. Don't fret over that. Well, fret is actually a very powerful word if you begin to think about your heart. And your attitude over this past week, your position of your heart, fret is a very good word to begin to think about. It's not just fretting over something. The definition of fret is like this, and maybe this will kind of resonate with somebody. It means to express worry. I mean, did your heart just worry over something this week? Some sort of condition, maybe some sort of conflict? Definition goes on to say annoyance or discontent calls corrosion. All right, now we're really getting into something here. Because when we fret over something, if we're in a situation where we think something's been done wrong to us, did you realize that you can be 100% right in a situation? You can be 100% right in a situation, but you can be 100% wrong in how you go about doing it, handling it. You can be 100% right. Somebody could have done an inju- Your spouse could have just spewed something, and you could be 100% right in going, that hurt, or you did that to me, and what you want is that spouse to suffer for. I'm just being honest. Now, I'm just pulling it out here. You know, that, I want suffering there. You know, I'm not talking about something, I'm just, I want, I want something to happen there. I want to see that wrong righted. And if I sit, if my heart sits in that long enough, it's going to corrode it. It's going to gnaw at it. That's the definition of fret. It's not just a pretty kind of surfacy word. We're talking about, about a heart that is corroded. A heart that something is not. Some of us hold on gnawing and corrosive things for a very, very, very long time. And all that is, is a heart of pride. It's just a heart of pride. So, fret means it's an irritation, it's fuming, it's raging, it's worrying, it's eroding, it's agitating. We can look so pretty on, and that's what Jesus was addressing. You can look so pretty on the outside, and your heart is fretting over a situation, over a circumstance. And instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to take that situation, take your heart, humble it, and change it. Right, here's the profile. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Now, I wouldn't call... I'm just picking on George and I right now because, you know, it's just, it's just the way... That's, this is the relationship. We, we've been married 26 years. But sometimes I would never call him an evildoer. I don't think he'd call me an evildoer. But when in that, in that tightness... Do what? What did he say? What did you say? No. But, you know, we, we tend to think about a crime commit. I just want you to think about this in terms of your... To, to look at this passage and just take an honest look at myself. Neither be envious against those who work unrighteousness, that which is not upright or in right standing with God, for they shall soon be cut down like grass. Now, I like that part. You know, cut it down like grass. And whether is the... Gr-. What's, this, what's that passage saying? If we take a humble stance... You no, know, God is the ultimate judge in a situation. He doesn't miss anything. And vengeance is his, not mine. Rightness is his. And does that mean you know we don't seek justice? And of course, we seek justice in criminal circumstances. We're looking at relational circumstances here. Um, for they shall soon be cut down like grass, and whether it's the green or listening, trust. and This is the portrait of humility. Remember, it's not passivity. It's not being um, just to where you're just absolutely self-abasing. Humility is somebody who trusts, leans on, relies on, and is confident in the Lord. That's the portrait of humility. And do good. In other words, in a conflict, you're still after the highest good. Is, is that easy? Come on now, is that easy? No. I can remember one of the toughest situations in my life about 10 years ago where there was a conflict. And, you know, I I believe I was right in the stance that I took, the principle that I took. But I had to be so careful that my heart stayed in the right place and was trusting in and was relying on God in that situation because it would have been so easy for me to attack character, to go after that person that I was in conflict with because I'm good at it. My heart can be really, really good at it. But what this is saying is the person who has a humble heart, you're going to continue to do good. In other words, you're going to continue to do the godly thing You're going to continue to commit yourself to the ways of the Lord. Does that mean you enable? No, that's a whole nother story. It's a whole nother story. It's not about enabling, but you're gonna continue to take the high road. You're gonna continue to do good. That's humility. So shall you dwell in the land and feed surely on his faithfulness. I just wanna know, did you feed surely on the faithfulness of God this week? That phrase was huge to me when I think about all the circumstances in my life and the circumstances of relationships around me. A humble heart is going to feed on the faithfulness of God. Passage goes on to say, and truly you shall be fed. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. Look at this. Uh, aspect of humility, this next word, commit your way to the Lord, that in the uh, parentheses just beside it where it says, roll and repose each care of your load on him, that is the full definition in the Hebrew context of commit. It means this week in humility, those things that are just overwhelming you, did you roll them over onto the Lord instead of trying to figure it all out, trying to seek the justice in that relationship, that self-interest in that relationship. Did you commit it to the Lord? That's humility. Isn't that amazing? This biblical definition of humility. Commit your way to the Lord. Roll and repose each care of your load on him. Trust lean on, rely on, and be confident also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Do you see this amazing recipe? This amazing recipe of humility. And of course, this brings glory to God. And he will make your uprightness and right standing with God go forth as the light. Well, there it is. Remember what Jesus was saying, your salt and your light? In this situation, in this circumstance right now of your life, how can you be light in this circumstance it's humility and you're just as as and right as the shining of the noonday be still this is another characteristic of the human heart of humility that you are still and you find your rest in the lord did your heart do that this week was that the desire of your heart this week wait for him and patiently lean yourself upon him fret not, there it is again, do not let your heart be gnawed at, fret not yourself because of him who prospers in this way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. There's so much in this passage. Look at this next characteristic of humility. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. The fact that that word fret shows up three times in the definition of, of humility in this passage of scripture in Psalm thirty-seven, goes on many many verses and it would be one uh, well worth your time to go back and to read over it. But as just the portion on your on your handout, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself; it tends only to evil doing because sooner or later you're going to find a way. You're going to the human heart, self interest will find a way to somehow get that playing level even again with that person that you're in conflict with, that person that's driving you nuts at work, that family member that just gets under your skin every time. This is long-term heart living. This is not just the one-time shot at it. That's why it's a desire. That's why it has to become a craving. That's why Jesus spoke about taking the heart and changing it so that it was beautifully humble. For evildoers, here comes, here comes this uh, portion of the verse here that Jesus was quoting from the Sermon on the Mount. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait and hope and look for the Lord in the end shall inherit the earth. Is that the position of your heart? take a look at that wait sit positionally looking committing desiring humility that's what jesus was talking about the sermon on the mount on the back as we draw this to a conclusion i printed isaiah 57 13 also it's on the back it's at the top but he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land. Again, same thing. Are you taking, does your heart take refuge in God? When the pressure's on, when the pressure is on, when you want to lash back, when you want to take that situation into your own hands, when you are in conflict with your spouse, when you're in conflict with a coworker, when you're in conflict with a relationship, where does the craving of your heart take you? Because the craving of your heart is either going to take you to get even or a self-interested position, or your heart's going to take you to the heart of God. The example, the most beautiful examples, of course, the perfect example of humility. You see, we have all the reason in the world to be humble. We're sinners. Now, here's the great paradox. This, this, is, this is something my mind sometimes is trying to hold on to these two thoughts all the time because I know I'm a sinner. I I know that I'm I am imperfect. I know that my heart is going to wander. I know that my mouth is going to say. I know that if I don't keep my heart in check, I'm going to you know if I don't trust in the Lord. I mean I, you know I know that. And I know that in this fast I cannot trust that fast. That fast. I know that. That's not going to push me down because on the same side of that equation, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by a glorious creator. And so we hold these two things all the time. I know I'm the sinner imperfect. And yet I know I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. I know he has gifted me. Now, that's something that takes, you know, when you, when you get to the place, the Holy Spirit's done some work when you can say, I know that God has gifted me. I know that God has given me things to use. It's not for me to use. It's for me to give away. That's the healthy balance of the two. Because, see, we can swing one end and we can become so prideful and conceited, or we can swing to the other end where we think we are absolutely nothing. And either either one of those is the incorrect biblical perspective. The biblical perspective is found in Philippians chapter 2. And I am not going to read through the entire thing. It is there for you to look at. See, we have the human hearts, that point number three, our human hearts, they are self-seeking, they are self-serving, and they are self-preserving. We are self-protecting. That's what motivates us without the Holy Spirit. We have every reason to be humble. What the world does is flip that whole thing around and pushes down the divine God who created us and elevates self when it's got to be the other way around. Because Christ who gave us the perfect example of humility, he, didn't, he was not humble for the same reasons. He's not sinful. He's not prideful. He's not driven by self-interest. What was he driven by? What drives the heart of Christ? Have you ever thought about that? What does his heart crave? You know what drove Christ to the place where he stepped? out of eternity? Step down from the throne where the angels literally cover their faces because of his holiness and his grandeur and his perfection? What kind of attitude, what kind of position of heart takes the God of the universe, as Philippians chapter 2 talks about, to step down? down out of eternity to deliver you. It's humility. Philippians chapter two. Do nothing. From factional motive, strife, selfishness, or fun, or for for unworthy ends. Wonder how many things I did this week. Wonder how many. I wonder. You know, and I don't, and I'm not making fun of the show at all. It's just, it just made me think of it this week, and I've only seen it once or twice, but, and it certainly is a, it's a, it's a, it's a show that has a, a lot of things about it, whether you agree with it or not, but the biggest loser, I you know when they step on the scale, and it, and it runs the numbers, and it runs the numbers, and it runs the numbers of their weight, and then it lands. I thought about that this week when I was looking at that. I wonder if God ran the numbers, ran the numbers, ran the numbers, ran the numbers about my selfishness. I wonder what it would come up to. Huge. Huge numbers. Huge numbers. i just flatten out on it. How many how many things did I do based on selfishness, and or, or prompted by conceit or empty arrogance? Instead, in the true spirit of humility, which is the lowliness of mind, let each regard the others as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. I'll just interject on that. If in a relationship. In a marriage relationship, if you're committed to that, it'll transform your marriage. It's one of the most beautiful passages to even consider striving for in a marriage. Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned not merely for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ. Let him be your example in humility. And then Philippians goes on to describe in such amazing terminology about the, the creator of the universe, the Holy One. And as you read through it, it's like you're visually imagining Christ stepping down to this earth. He came to serve. He came to seek the lost. He came to deliver. And it is a beautiful, absolute beautiful picture of humility. What's your heart crave this week? What kind of stew are you brewing? Are you leaning? Are you trusting? Are you committing your ways? Or are you driven by self-interest? You're driven by self-interest. What you want. I'm going to have what I want when I want it, and I'm going after it. It's a destructive place to be. Christ offers freedom from that. And He offers the incredible replacement of a humble heart. That's light and salt to the world. And a minute, I'm gonna pick up all of this that has just taken its dive on the floor. And that's okay. And well loved and well worn, it wouldn't always look like that. But as we prepare for communion, what I would like for you to do is picture in your mind the God of the universe on the throne. Because as we all step forward, myself included, I'm just going. I don't want. I don't want to take that bread that represents the body of Christ and the wine that we use as the blood of Christ, and take that this morning with a prideful heart, with a heart that just has to get even with somebody. It's just holding that list of grudge. Or seeking a self-interest in any kind of relationship. We've got some space this morning. And Walt's going to come on up. And if you... You know, I hope as you, as you come to Renovation Church week to week to week, we believe in the freedom of worshiping in spirit and freedom and truth. And if positionally, you want to be on your knees before you come and take communion as just a physical representation of my humility before God, because before I can be humble in my relationship, thank you Walt, before I can be humble, well, I've made a disaster of the whole platform, so um, he said, he said preaching power. I didn't know it was just going to go everywhere. But, uh, but to come with a, a heart that's humble, to be prepared. Now, obviously, you know, a physical position, is God wants the heart position. You know that. But I, I will never forget the first time, the first season of my life, when I began to literally bow in prayer, I mean, be on my knees in prayer. How humbling that was. I realized just how proud I really am. That I wouldn't even bend my knee. And And when nobody else was even looking, it was just me. But I realized as I bent the knee and got to the floor before my God, it really shook me to the core just how proud I am. And then lo and behold, there was a time in my life when I began to go face down on the floor. And humility before God. I'm just offering that to you as we as we come to the table. We're gonna give you a few minutes. To talk to God about the position and attitude of your heart. And and you feel free if you need to to be on your knees, if you want to go to the floor face down. You do that. Don't resist the spirit in that. And then you come as you feel led to the table where, the night before Jesus was crucified, before he gave up his life for you, he humbled himself. That passage in Philippians says He humbled himself even to death, death on the cross. And we're to have the same attitude as that. Poured out his blood for you. Shed for you the remissions of your sins. But ask the servers, you stay right where you are until you're ready because you are just as significant. You know, we've already gotten into that co- You make sure your heart's ready before you come and take this. You make sure before you come and take this as a believer, as a Christ follower, got a humble heart. There will be those of us positioned throughout the room if you want us to pray for you, pray with you. We also give you permission, which you don't need, but we just want you to know that you can. If you just want to come and bow, you know what it's not a fancy altar. But if you want to come and you want to bow here, you can do that too. It's okay. Just take a few minutes and when the servers are ready, y'all come.